Welcome to the Rise Up Kings podcast, where you'll hear from the pros who've built business empires without sacrificing their faith, family, or fitness. The host, Skylar Lewis, has built multiple multi-million dollar companies, is an author, speaker, and founder of the three-day Rise Up Kings experience. It's time to rise up to your God-given potential and create a life of liberty abundance and impact to learn more about rise up kings go to riseupkings.com don't forget to subscribe i'm excited to announce our guest to our podcast today dr paul cole he is the president of Christian Men's Network, an amazing human being. I've gotten to know oh, wow. you. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I've gotten to know you. We've already the... started, man. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. I've got to know you, uh, Paul, over the last... Uh, I think probably... that's exactly as I wrote it down for you. It, that was perfect. Yeah, amazing exactly. human. <laughs> so he's uh, just a, uh, yeah, and, and a humble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Humble. like Moses, the like, most humble man I ever lived. He wrote himself. Yeah. <laughs> So Paul, Paul is just an incredible uh, human being. He's, uh, he's very involved in men's ministry, making a difference and impacting people all over the world, which is quite incredible. And uh, just grateful to have this conversation with you. No, it's fantastic, man. I'm fired up about Rise Up, what Rise Up Kings is doing and uh, really the relationship, because that's really where it all starts, right? We can be excited about what somebody's doing with their business, their corporation, their this or that. But even a corporation, people say, ah, corporations. They go, no, it's people. It's all about people. Everything's about relationship. Everything in life's about relationship. In fact, the only way you succeed in business is based on relationship, right? And I believe Jesus came, right, to have that relationship, to connect us to God. And so that's, and, and, and that's a whole other conversation. No, just, think I'm about just... it. No, that, I mean, that's a good one because then you go to Genesis where it says God created mankind, right? But it says first he created a garden. And then it says the garden wasn't fulfilled. It wasn't completed. And it says because there wasn't a man to take care of it. Now think about that. So then he creates man. But the number one create, you know, reason for creating man was relationship. Then out of the relationship came the mission. Put him in a garden, goes here. And then he didn't tell him where to put the different trees. He didn't tell him how to how to put the garden together. He didn't, he didn't tell him, hey, you've got to do... It wasn't about rules and regulations. It was about relationship. And, and Adam, when he's... I mean, think about this, man. And this is where you and I can live today in the creative presence of God is, is that he basically could say, hey, I'm going to put roses over here, something over here, something over there, and God would just come walking in the cool of the evening going like, dude, that was awesome. And I believe that's the way a relationship with God's supposed to be through Christ. How let's let's talk about that in relationship to men, and and we'll kind of start off with the conversation of brotherhood, yeah. right? So how does how does brotherhood and relationship within the context of brotherhood? Where, where do you see some of the gaps? And and can, can we can we give the audience a little bit of context of your involvement just with men's and men's ministry? Like your involvement is. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me give you, I'll give you yeah. the, uh, the elevator thing. Yeah. Do you want 10 floors or 20 floors? <laughs> yeah, we'll go as, mu- as much as you want, whatever's relevant. So uh, 47 years ago, my father was at a uh, conference speaking to men. He was a pastor. I was in business and uh, media marketing business. And so he came back from this conference and he called me and he said, man, something happened. I said, what? He said, I think God placed something deep in my heart to minister to men full time. And I'm like, 
who does that? Nobody. There was nothing like what we see today. In fact, Coach Bill McCartney said about my father, Ed Cole, he said he was the progenitor at the start of the modern-day men's movement. And I remember that phone call, and he said, you got to come talk to me. And so we sat down and talked. He said, I'm going to go full-time with this. And he started what's called the Christian Men's Network. He passed away 20 years ago. I was still in business. In fact, I was in the middle of doing a story for Fox News. And then we had started a church that my son pastors now. And, uh, you know, my dad was a pulpit guy. You know, like he was old-school pulpit, you know, and I'm old-school craft coffee. So it was, uh, so about five years after he passed away, Skyler, uh, my wife and I made the conscious decision through the uh, really push of a lot of friends saying, hey, you need to relaunch this. And we did. And uh, today we're in 134 countries, about 900,000 men every month going through the tools and materials. We took my dad's books, some things I've written, uh, Bishop Dale Bronner, our chairman, others. We use those as a curriculum, much like what you have with Rise Up Kings. And we help men learn what it is to be a real man. My, my real audience is pastors and leaders, helping them learn how to disciple men. Because if we can disciple men, we change the future of a nation. And I believe Psalm says that he's given us the nations. And so that's my involvement. So I'm, I'm for the last 15, 16 years, been 110% sort of like what you've done with this uh, shift over the last decade into Rise up kings. You're just all in, right? Because there's no other way to do it except go all in. So I'm working on another, my second doctorate. I'm working on different things in order to learn to make myself better. And then I'm hanging out with people like you that expands my life and learning from people like you and, and uh, you know, Chip and, and uh, Rod and other great friends and, and using that to help pastors and leaders disciple men. Because if we reach the heart of a man, we save families, we save children. And the picture, it's in my mind, just to finish my elevator. So I went to like a 40th floor, sorry. So, uh, so just to finish it up, the picture that's in my mind when we say ministry to men is a picture I took, and I've showed it to you, of a man in Mongolia about five, about four or five years ago when we were there. And we had translated one of our books, Maximize Manhood, into Mongolian. And he was coming around. He had just picked up his, his little girl, probably about two years old from the crash, you know, the children's thing. And he's got her in his arms. And he's got the book with him that we had handed out to everybody there in, in, uh, in the capital of Mongolia. And, and he turns around, and I just took the picture. That's what's in my mind every day, that we could change the hearts of men and the dads like that would change the future of little girls like that because every child deserves a loving dad. So that's what drives me. I'm not driven by how many groups we can do or, or conferences that are big or large or whatever. I'm, I'm thinking about how many millions of children could we help change their future by changing their father's hearts. So that's what drives me. Man. Yeah, we have a... Um... We just finished our uh, Ruck 36 event last week, and so as we're, we do a final dinner, yeah. and we're having a conversation with the guys, and, and I let them know, like, we, I'm not doing this for right. the impact that we can have with them. 
right, I'm doing this for the ripple effect, for the generations that will now be impacted, the thousands of people's lives that will be changed by changing one man that now leads his family different, his community different, his business different, and just that ripple effect. So I love these guys, and I'm, I have a much bigger picture of the impact, not just in them, but when they shift their heart, right? And when God does that work, there's just... the. The impact is profound, and I think I think we're seeing the the I mean we're seeing a lot of men's move, men's movements, men's groups, things starting to kind of pop up right now. There's a, there's a gap in our society, and let's talk about let's talk about immaturity of men. Actually, for, for yeah, a moment. Well, yeah, yeah. You mean you want to appeal to all the women that are uh, watching or listening because <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, talk about that one. Yeah, you know, it's prevalent. It's prevalent, and so wh- where are you seeing just the uh, the the culture of, of immature men, and, and where do you think that came from, and, and what what's the what what's it what's the damage I that it's the, causing? I think the immaturity of men comes from the loss of fatherhood. Uh, I believe it comes from the loss of role models, and uh, if you will, the rise of um, you know kids being raised on television back in the day, now on their you know their tablet or whatever. But, you know, it's, I think, the indifference of men, uh, which comes from selfishness. Okay, so you've got this, this uh, 60s generation that grew up that became fairly narcissistic because they began, yeah, we're free, and then it's all about me. And, and uh, yeah, we can do anything we want. Well, what it really meant was I can do anything I want regardless of what happens with you. And that's a spirit of lust. Love is the desire to benefit another, even at the expense of yourself, because love desires to give. Lust is the desire to benefit self, even at the expense of others, because lust desires to get, to gain for self. So the immaturity of men comes from this. And maturity doesn't come from age. It's not because you get older, you get more mature, right? Maturity is making the right decision even when the context or emotions of the moment would cause you to do something else. Say that again. Maturity is making the right choice, the right decision, even when the context or emotions of the moment would cause you to do something else. So it's like going to a strip club and you've got this, this temptation and you've got this thing. Maturity says, yeah, it's not good for me. It doesn't help my spirit. It's not going to help me in my relationship with my wife. It's not going to help me grow as a man. And you can go through a litany of things, but immaturity says, yeah, but I'm going to feel good, man. You know, for a minute, you know, this is, it's, it's, and immaturity is all about me. It's like you don't have to teach children how to be selfish. You know, if, they're, if you're, and you're, you're a dad, and this is the yeah. beauty of Rise Up Kings, is that Rise Up Kings has the spirit of a father in it, Okay. Because you've fully committed your life to Father God. And you've got this thing in you, Skylar, which is the spirit of a father. And even as a young man, you have, like you talked about the men with Ruck 36, you, you have a love for them. What is that? That's, that's not just brotherhood. That's fatherhood. That's, that's a desire to see them do better. That's what a father does. So maturity says, I'm going to make the right choice because I love my kids I'm going to make the right choice because I love my wife. I'm going to make the right choice because I love myself, and I want, I want myself to be a better person. So why do you not overindulge with alcohol? I have a standard that we established in our family, 
and, uh, and with a, a lot of young men that I've had time with as a pastor in particular, which was a big change out of coming out of business. Because, you know, in business, if you've got employees, you tell them to show up Saturday at 9 a.m., everybody shows up. When you're a pastor, you're like, hey, we need, we're going to do something <laughs> Saturday morning at 9. Dude, where is everybody? That's why you disciple. Anyway, we'll get back on that. But, but the fact is, is that as, as, a, uh, as a pastor and leader with men, one of the standards we had for alcohol was you have to be able at any point in time to, be, to get in your car, drive to a hospital, and minister to somebody in desperate need. Now, if that means you can have a half glass of wine, if that means you can't have anything. So my standard was not a law, a rule, a regulation. It was love. How much do you love people? Well, then you won't over-imbibe. You know why? Because you, you want to love your children. You want to do the right thing. You want to say the right thing. You don't want to get mad. You know, never want to discipline out of anger. Because then it's not discipline. It's dictatorial. So anyway, that's... Uh, on so that stuff on, on that you asked me about brotherhood on that note, I don't know on that note though that's so good so standards right and and i think we when we set standards we have the opportunity to live up to them and that's yeah. the power of standards and, yeah and and power what's, of vision what's happening i think culturally is we're removing a lot of standards exactly and and, and so people are just wandering. yeah why are we doing that they're want why are we doing that why are we removing standards yeah uh well i think a big part of it is selfishness we don't have to we don't have to operate a certain way Bang. yeah yeah Right on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have to live up to the standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So, so the whole thing that they throw at us as followers of Christ is, you know, don't judge. Well, I'm not judging. All I'm doing is raising a standard. Jesus didn't judge, and he raised a standard. In fact, the standard for manhood, Jesus didn't lower it so everybody could just get over the, the little threshold. He raised it, man. So that we aspire to it. It's what you're talking about. You have a vision. You have a standard. You have something you're looking towards, and it pulls you there. What's another, uh, just for my own, my, my own uh, curiosity and, and just to continue to gain wisdom, what, what, what are some other standards that you've put in place like that? I love that. Specific standards, right? Maybe around alcohol or around the way you raise your kids or daily routines <laughs> or just what are some of the standards that... <laughs> daily routines? I'll tell you one, man. Well, first of all, uh, a couple things back with kids, because this is a big deal, and this is something I've shared a lot, Skyler, with men, uh, particularly young dads, is that uh, decompress before you get home. Yeah. If you have children in the house, decompress before you get home. If that means you stop and have a cup of coffee with a friend, if it means you stop and just read your phone for 15 minutes and you just kind of... Because the worst thing is for a, a dad to come home, and if there's a mom in the house... For the mom to say, don't bother your dad, he's had a tough day. Kids don't understand. Children do not understand that. Their tough day is that they skinned their knee. And your tough day is you couldn't make payroll. You know, it's a whole different thing, but for them it's the same. So decompress so that the minute you walk in the door, you belong to them. And you know you know how it is. Children are, have a lot going on, right? they got a lot of stuff going on in their life. So they're on you for about 15 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes later, they're off doing stuff. And yep. 
hanging out and driving the tractor and you know whatever it may be. Hopefully not. But. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> not the tractor. Not the side by side. Not the tractor. Yeah, yeah. I don't want them driving my tractor. My uh, my John Deere baby. But you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. So it's like, and then and then you have that time with your wife and whatever. Yeah. But one of the greatest memories of my life is walking in. Well, I walked. I usually walked in the back door where I parked my car. But the landing. There were two landings coming out of the second floor of the house. And I would come around the corner, and the boys would come running. We had a big game room, and they'd come running. Aah! You know, the two boys, and they they'd come running down and hit the first landing, and then it was launch, like they were like, Aah! you know, and they'd oh, jump on great. me and stuff. And you know, uh, Warren Farrell in his book, uh, you know, The War on Boys, which is an incredible, uh, really, uh, it's a secular book. It's a general market book. I would recommend it to everybody. And uh, But Warren said one of the most important things that a father can do for his children, and particularly boys, is wrestle with them. And he delineates what it means. It means they learn boundaries. Like, you know, you're wrestling with dad, you don't kick in the nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a wrestling move. <laughs> we don't do that. Yeah. Uh, you, don't, you don't wrestle at the same intensity with your sister. You know, there's, so you learn boundaries. You learn, there's, there's intimacy. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of things that go into that. But the bottom line is, and so there's that uh, principle. But you asked me about a couple things, and I just got off on the whole children thing. But I would say this, uh, another thing that, that is, was important in my life is, is uh, and I've heard this said a lot more recently, Skyler. And I, I'm sure you say it in different things. I haven't heard it said quite this way is you'll become like your five best friends. You know, you want to see what your future's like? See the people you put around you. And it's something I learned uh, as a young man that if I wanted to be good in business, because I, I started uh, six businesses and three of them went really well. And one went extremely well. And the reason I think that one went better is I would sit down with people who were so much smarter than me. And I hired consultants. And I did, and I just, I would say, hey, there's something I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I don't know, but you probably do because you've been in this industry for 25, 30 years. And I would learn from those guys and glean from them. And you just can't get so up in yourself that you think you know stuff. I think that's one of my uh, superpowers would be just collaborating and learning and growing from, uh, from from other individuals, right? Whether it's... I mean, one of the reasons I moved to uh, Orange County from Temecula was we had just created some pretty significant success in Temecula. Our business was growing, and we had hit, we felt like we had hit the top of our associations, just our connections. And so, my wife one day, just after we finished remodeling our you know house that we had on five acres, just our dream house, she says, "You know what?" She said, uh, "I think we should go move to uh, Orange County." I'm like, "Are you County sure it wasn't beach? because she was done?" Yeah, done with what? You're with the oh, house? With the, with the house. Yeah, no. It's like, so, okay, I just, I'm done. No. So we need. <laughs> to me, it was the beginning. Maybe to her, it was yeah. the end. Okay, okay. So that was, so she was, she's like, hey, let's uh, let's move to the beach, like out by Orange County. Part of it was she wanted to be by the ocean. But a big part of it was we just, she realized that our associations, we, we had talked about it many times that we just kind of capped out. And so the thing with Orange County, right, just even, even financially, when you go, right, we had a million dollar house in Temecula, but a million dollar house in Newport Beach, 
is a 700 square foot little shack, oh, well, right? So we started at the very bottom. It's a, it's a nice shack. <laughs> it's a, it's some of them. It's some of them are nice shacks, but a, I mean, a very, I grew up in a, yeah, so, so it is a nice shack compared yeah, to my mobile a, home. It's a shack with quartz countertops. You know, it's, Co- compared to my mobile home shack I grew up in, that was 600 true. square feet. That was, uh, so we, we moved there. And so associations are just, they're so important. And Man, that, that's that why I enjoy a, our conversations, right? And why I, I seek out just, men of wisdom that I can continue to... That was a really prescient thing to do, man. That was to do that because it does, it enlarges you. You know, I, I had a, a really important business meeting a number of years ago, and we were going to do it in our offices, and we had a nice little conference room. And I, I said, no, we're going to do it over at uh, TPC at the in Las Colinas at the sports center. And they've got a huge uh, conference room with big windows that looks out on this championship golf course where they played to Byron Nelson for years. And they said, why do you want to do that? It costs, you know, it's whatever it was, 800 bucks or something. And I said, because we're going to think larger. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make us feel, you know, it's, everything grows or dies based on the atmosphere. And if you surround yourself with a small atmosphere, that's what you're going to become. And that's why Jesus, here's the thing. The word says, God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My way is higher than your ways. What he didn't say there is you can't come up here. He never said you can't come here. In fact, he sent Jesus so that with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we actually can elevate us, Mm -hmm. rise up larger, be bigger, be strong and be bolder, Right. God didn't say, hey, my ways are higher than your ways and you can't come here. He sent Jesus so that we had a way. He came as the path, the way to have an expansive life, to become everything God designed us to be and to leave a legacy. Hmm. So good. So what are some of the ways, I mean, I have so many, I have so many, so many questions, so many conversations. What's your podcast? You can do anything you want. <laughs> yeah. What, what would you What would you say is the way? Like, so, so uh, something that we're noticing just more and more with with men uh, that we're working with is just their hunger, uh, their hunger to level up. But it, many times it stems from just a lack of uh, the results in their life, a lack of mm. character. So yeah. can we talk about Can we talk about character and just what character means well, to you and and how you're seeing? Uh, just where, where the opportunities are. First, where some of the downfalls are, but where are the opportunities for character development within? Yeah, I, think it's, I think it's a great question. And um, uh, I want to direct us to Isaiah 3. Just happen to have it open. Isaiah 3 basically says this, and this is uh, because everything that we do in our lives, and if you're uh, listening or watching right now, uh, you have to find a place of true north. You have to have a, st- you talk about a standard, there has to be a true north. The true north for you and I as followers of Christ is the word of God. And in fact, if you take it back, Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis, you go back to the origination of what's right and wrong. Where does moral law come from? It comes from personality. You and I believe and know that Jesus Christ was not only the one who spoke about truth, but he was truth. Truth, truth isn't a concept. It's a, it's a person. And so, uh, so my true north is the word of God. So in, in the word of God, there's a story where in the first covenant, what's called the Old Testament, Israel, because <laughs> it's the first covenant, it's basically a picture of God raising up a group of people and trying to bring them to a place of maturity, which is making the right choices. And what do they do over and over and over? 
they make selfish choices. They just tip over. And, and if nothing else, reading the, the first covenant, uh, the Old Testament, is really a good way of, of making yourself feel a little bit better about where we are today. Because these guys were a mess. So here they are, they've messed up. Isaiah 3 says, God says to them, he says, I'm going to take from you, he said, I'm going to take from you your uh, security, your supply of bread, and your water. Now, in the first verse of chapter 3 of Isaiah, what, what God's speaking of in the prophet's writing, he says, I'm going to take from you security, bread, and water. Well, that speaks of the presence of God. I'm going to, you think you're so strong? Eh, watch this. I take my presence from you. And so his security, that's the Father, bread, Jesus, water, Holy Spirit. And he says, then there's two people that I'm going to take out of the culture. And when these two people are taken out of the culture, the culture will begin to tip over. And Skylar, it's true of every great culture, every great family, every great business. When I take the, it says, here's what it says, I'll take from you the hero and the warrior. The hero and the warrior. Every great culture is built on the character of its heroes and the courage of its warriors. The character of its heroes and the courage of its warriors. And character is having a true north uh, of faith, if you will, that center that says this is immutable. This is immutable. Character is sticking to your word. Character is keeping your word, whether it's in business or with your kids. You know, when you say you're going to take you fishing Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. You know, and, and then some guy calls and goes, dude, hey, we're getting on this course over here. So we don't get on it very often. And you go, ah, and you tell your kid, yeah, I'll do it another time. You know, you made a decision for you, not for him or for her. You know, so character is saying, you know what? Gave my word, keeping it. You've done this in business. We've all done this in business. In fact, I've been on both sides of it where I told somebody, here's what the project's going to cost. We signed off on it. And then when I sent them the invoice, it was a little bit more. And, and I knew it was more, and then, but I had to adjust it and keep my word and say, okay, it's going to be this, this amount. Or you call them ahead of time to go, dude, this is what happened. You know, the supply chain, you know, we're both uh, building things, right? Yep. Actual buildings yep. and things. And this whole supply chain thing. So I knew, hey, you know, my GC called and said, hey, this happened with this door. And this door won't be here for 12 weeks. You go, 12 weeks for a door? Yeah, because you wanted a solid and a certain. It's, and, you it's know, huge. It's so interesting. I understand it. On that note, yeah, I was. 20% I was, hit. We were talking. With I get a, it. I was reading in uh, Daniel today, and I was, I was mentoring my son this morning. Uh, after our work, I've been working out with him. Yeah. Uh, well, I can see you've been working out, bro. I, but <laughs> I got, you got that shirt with those small <laughs> yeah. sleeves on it? Yeah. They're, yeah, extra small. I got to get one of those. There's my extra so. small ones. They work really well. They get a little tight every now and then, uh, and especially when you wash them. But the, uh, the, uh, so, so I'm reading a, a great book. Actually, just finished it, The Intentional Father. Yeah. Right? Fantastic book. John Tyson's? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic book. And so he talks about his daily ritual yeah. with his son. Right? And so it's neat. I've been working out with my son almost every morning. That's and then awesome, after man. that 30-minute workout with him, we'll do a little mentoring session. So last night, he's like, hey, Dad, are we waking up in the morning again? And are we going to do our mentoring? Is what he calls it. And so I'll spend like 10 minutes with him. That's fantastic. And we'll talk about different topics and yeah. core values. And today was on excellence. Because I noticed during his workout, he, he wasn't giving it his all. He was doing it halfway, like he didn't work out half the time. He was messing around, and 
And so I talked to him about excellence and looked up some verses around the spirit of excellence and how God really tends to bless people and put them in high positions. People that operate with a character of excellence, like the thing, everything they do, they just, or most things they do, they give their all, Mm -hmm. right? They really pour all of themselves into it. Because for me, that was one of my biggest challenges growing up. I learned to get bees with half minimal effort. (laughs) Right, I could go get B's and C's yeah. and put in ten yeah, percent yeah. effort, twenty yeah. percent effort, and it worked really well through school. I could go do what I wanted, but into the workplace, I realized my character was massively flawed. Wow! Almost everything I did, I gave fifty percent, sixty percent. I yeah. rarely ever gave all of myself mm. because I just got so used to being able to perform right at fifty percent and, and so, get by and get by. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. Life and you're was fine. still Everybody life was looking still at good. You, yeah, this guy's good. Mm-hmm. So character just is, is critical. So back to your conversation. I think it has to be an internal gauge, doesn't it? I mean, when you're talking about character, you, you know you, and you know you didn't give 100% on this thing. You know, and I think character says, uh, I'm going to go all in on this deal. It's Daniel, you know, the character of Daniel. Here's a guy that's captured. Uh, he's taken as a slave, right? He's taken 1,700 miles from his home. It's a guy in the Old Testament, in the First Covenant. True story of a man that was captured. In fact, the, the, the gates of Babylon where he was taken to, one of the gates is in a museum in Berlin. It's amazing. It's, it's this huge museum, and you can see the gates that Daniel actually walked through. But Daniel goes there, and he has character in his three friends, and they're, they're pushed on every side by this pagan culture, and yet they won't give in. And in that character of standing up for what they believe, they end up having favor. They end up getting blessed. I mean, they go through trials, man. Fiery furnace stuff, you know, Daniel and the lion's den, all those kinds of things, real stuff that really happened. And this guy held on to his character, and he had favor. Now, here's the thing. He never left captivity. He never left Babylon. And yet his life was totally fulfilled. And watch this. I'll give you this. This is a little thing. About 500, 600 years later, um, he, he's, he's part of a, one of the last things he did was he was, he was in charge of a school. And uh, the school was the school of the, the Magi, basically, is what we could say. And uh, about 10% of that school was, was uh, Hebrew slaves and people who had grown up in that culture. And that school that started, that he was in charge of, he put in there a bunch of these old prophecies. So there were prophecies about the coming of a Messiah, Right? So this school, think about this, 700 years later, out of Babylon, out of the east, comes a bunch of magi when? When Jesus is born. Now check it out, check it out. This is, this is awesome. So Daniel, who's a slave, he's got nothing in one sense. He's got favor, he ends up in, in a great position, goes through all kinds of trials and stuff, keeps his character and his faith, ends up in the, in the charge of this school, impregnates that school with the thought of there's a Messiah coming. So a group of those people continue to look for that. When Jesus is born, it says the Magi came from the east because they had seen the sign. Now, it doesn't say how many. There weren't three kings. That's a song. That's a song. It's like there was a bunch of Magi. What did they come with? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What is that? Jesse, now here's uh, Joseph, excuse me, Joseph and Mary. And here's Joseph and Mary. Joseph's like a laborer. Out of Nazareth, very poor city, little town. And now his son's being born, and Herod's going to kill all the babies. He's got to run for his life. They go live in Egypt for four years. How'd they do that? 
The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that the Magi brought paid for Joseph to be able to take his family, rescue Jesus, take him to Egypt for three and a half, four years, come back to Nazareth, still have enough money to start his own business. Who put that into motion? Daniel. So this guy who kept his character, not knowing he was doing this, that's true legacy. Legacy history, what a man does in life becomes history. But what he puts into motion becomes his legacy. And think about this. Hundreds of years later, Daniel, a captive, taken from his family, going through unspeakable horrors and temptations and, and all kinds of stuff that happened to him. And yet hundreds of years later, because of his character, the money that Joseph needed to rescue his family is provided out of that man's legacy. Mm. Wow. So powerful. <laughs> Dude, I mean, really. So the things you're doing, the things I'm doing, the things that we're doing with the ministry to men. And we talked about it before we went on camera. Man, this, this stuff has a ripple effect. This has, is exponential. Jesus, think about it. He's got 12 guys. He's got three close, 12. He's got 70. He's got this little band of men. And 2,000 years later, there's 2 billion followers of Jesus Christ on the face of the earth. That's the, that's the exponential power of faith and character in motion and, and courage. I mean, rise up kings. You got to have some courage. You got to have some cojones, man, to stand up on Instagram in front of everybody with all the, everything, all the stuff going on and put it on every place else that you do on social media and speak up for the cause of Christ when it's not popular. Yeah, we're dealing with some of that stuff with with uh, one of our companies and speaking of that right we're in uh we're in pride uh month <laughs> yeah well which goes before a fall so i guess july is going to be the fall month 100 right so it's what are your what are your what are, what is your perspective on how uh christians should operate and i just i just enjoy listening to your wisdom around different things so uh in regards to uh taking why do you feel we we are where we are with Pride Month, with the 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 the, the decay of our culture, and and do you feel it is because of men? Do you feel like where 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 are you at on that conversation? Well, we go back to the immaturity of men, and yeah. you only have to look at. Uh, we live in the United States, and our governments, uh, for the federal government, is based in Washington D.C. And there's not there's not a greater, uh, if you will, matrix of of uh, self-aggrandizement and selfishness. There's no there's no uh, bigger bowl of of that of BS anywhere in the world than in Washington D.C. with people all wanting their own things. And so, what you find is you find men, uh, mediocre men, who have risen to levels of leadership. And, and you know the old saying is. Uh, maybe it was Adam Smith who said, "You get the government. People get the government they deserve because we elected them." And and so you know we have to begin to look at that. So my deal is don't run away from these things, run into them, right? And that's why I love Rise Up Kings because what you're doing is not only are guys going to be building great businesses, right? But there's going to be a number of them who will run for city council. There's going to be a number of them that run for the local school board. There's going to be a number of them that their wives or girlfriends uh, end up as teachers. And my daughter just became, and now in her early 40s, just became a public school teacher in the last couple of years. And I'm like, yeah, well done. We need people like that who have a central faith in Christ 
to be engaged, not outside, but inside. Uh, we need you to run for president. We need you to run for city council. We need you in every part of culture. So my thing is you don't, you don't uh, run away from these things. What you do is you gird up your loins. And so I think, you know, there's a decrease in the number of people that go to church. I think there's a real attack on men. You know, I love uh, my friend Sam Masteller and his church. Uh, for for uh, Father's Day, they handed out T-shirts that said, uh, uh, making men men again. Mm. <laughs> making men men that's again. Bold. That's bold. I know. <laughs> so so I, I love that whole yeah. concept. And I think that, I think, you know, Skylar, the greatest churches have yet to be built. I think some of the greatest movements have yet to happen. You talked, uh, when we first started, you mentioned the men's movement and how you see a lot of stuff going on. You know, I'm a few years older than you and uh, a little more seasoned. I think I've actually arrived, uh, somebody told me I'm in the sage age, <laughs> like I'm a sage. <laughs> I can see you as that. Dude, <laughs> I don't know what that Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of thing, a little robe thing, I need to get that. But the fact is, is that I've been around long enough to watch movements come and go, and I've seen men's movements. What I'm seeing now is a, a men's movement, if you will, in younger ages. Okay, our uh, we've got seventy six hundred men's groups in Brazil. We've got thirty four hundred in Argentina, and I could go on country by country. Over a million men have gone through our materials in Indonesia, one of the largest Muslim nations on earth, which now is over thirty percent followers of Jesus Christ. Wow. Okay, so wow. the same that's year that London elected a Muslim mayor, Jakarta elected a Christian mayor. So that's an interesting thing. Uh, but in all of that, my thing is what I'm seeing now in Brazil, for, as an example, it's a whole bunch of young guys, man. It's a whole bunch of, uh, of men your age and younger. You know, it's the, it's the men you're attracting. And I'm seeing uh, a rise in young guys saying, hey, you know what? This stuff's crap. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I'm not going to put up with it in me. What am I going to do? I'm going to I'm just going to grab a hold of my future. And, you know, we don't live, you know, when you live based on your past, you end up living a mediocre life. But if you live based on your future, you get pulled into that future. So good. Yep. Right? That's what we teach. So, mm -hmm. so now, uh, so now you're, you're, this thing's growing in men. They start having a vision. And vision is forged in the discipline to extract yourself from the unnecessary. And most of us live highly distracted lives. I mean, there's just, all this stuff flying around. The average worker in the United States is interrupted every seven minutes. And, and I, was, I don't know, how do you get anything done? So that's where you're bringing this thing back. And that's where I see young men saying, you know what, I'm going to focus. Focus isn't about greater intensity. It's about greater intentionality. And so you, you, you turn everything off for two hours. You focus in. You get stuff done. You get things cranked up. I just think some of the greatest businesses that have ever been built by followers of Christ have yet to be built, or they're in the middle of being built. And I, I, I have a great hope in the future because I believe out of the ashes, beauty rises. I believe that's biblical, and I believe that's the word of God, and I believe that's what the real rainbow is about. It's about God's covenant with the earth. And I believe yep. that when Jesus Christ returns, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what you and I believe is that, is that he went to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, he lived a perfect life, 
went to heaven, and he's going to return. And when he returns, he returns for those who are followers of Christ. When the Bible teaches about his return, it says he comes back, he calls about, it's, it's, the picture of it is a wedding. So he comes back and it's a feast, right? So the whole creation starts in a garden that's like a feast. And, it, and he comes back for a feast. I think, I think that's a lot of what life is supposed to be at, about. It's not supposed to be about the temple. I think it's supposed to be about the table, right? So I believe when he comes back, he comes back for a bride, the Bible says, that's robust, strong, cranked up, and says, here, look at, look at what happened here on the earth. And so if you see things not going right, I don't think that's the end of it. I, I, I do believe there's, I do believe there's, there's a casualties in warfare. Yeah. You know? You know, Graham Staines and his two sons that were burned to death in northern India. You know, his boys were 10 and 8. He's up there just trying to do the right thing, charity work, helping people, uh, doing educational programs. And a religious mob uh, came in the middle of the night. He's sleeping in his car with his boys. This happened 27 years ago. And uh, so when they found him, they, they burned the car up. And when they found uh, the corpses, uh, it's, uh, he has two little boys with him. And you think about Graham, you know, it's like, okay, well, that didn't end well, except that his wife became one of the most famous followers of Christ in all of India. And her writings have led millions of people to become followers of Jesus Christ. So look at it as a seed, you know, look at that as a seed. Uh, We have a tendency to look at what happens on the earth as the finish, and it's not, right? The finish is in the supernatural. Mm. It's in Christ. So much wisdom there. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we've been, I've just seen so much darkness recently, right? Yeah. Just in our society and culture and really in the hearts and the minds of, of men. Yeah. Right? As we see men, we just see a lot of, uh, a lot of things that they hide. A lot of, uh, uh, there's not a lot of opportunity for them to be real. And so I, I appreciate your realness and I appreciate you having this mission, uh, Serve men, take them to the next level. I'm on the same page. Yeah. And I can't wait. Someday I know there's some opportunity for us to do something together or to be involved because it's just, yeah, we got to find something. Yeah. Yeah. I think think we have those things. You know, and the fact is, is that, uh, you know, when we we talk about this move forward and we talk about uh, you see darkness, but bro, Stalin, that was pretty dark, killed 60 million people. Uh, Genghis Khan, you know, that was pretty dark. One out, of, one out of every seven people on the face of the earth has some Genghis Khan blood in them. Uh, you know, it's uh, like there's been dark stuff, you know. Uh, people have been people all through history, and there will always been. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. And I think, to me, that always meant that there's always going to be people stuff. And then we have to go back to, well, why is that? Well, because we're not robots. We're not angels. We have free will. And free will allows us to choose to love. And that's the choice that's placed before us. And that's the choice that every man has. And the Bible says, I place before you a choice today, life or death. And then the Bible says, God says, he says, my prayer is that you would choose life. Hmm. What's, uh, what is one thing that, and we'll close out with this, um, what is one way that men watching this or listening to this can choose life over this next 30 days or, or this year in 2023? Like, what is what to you, what does choosing life 
look like or what is something that they can do to do that? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it goes back to what King David did over and over and over. Because you think about David. Uh, David was this king in the Old Testament. He was the king of Israel. He's considered one of the greatest men who ever lived. He was a great warrior. He was a poet. He was a Renaissance man. Like this guy could kill a bunch of people and write poetry about it. It was awesome. And, and yet he was tempted and he, and he messed up a number of times. You know, we think about temptation as, man, we shouldn't have it because you know, we're trying to live a righteous life. No. In fact, it's when you try to live a righteous life that, that you realize there's more temptation. See, before you became a follower of Christ, you didn't even think about temptation. It was always called opportunity. Right? So now it's temptation. Ugh. What did David do over and over in the book of Psalms? What did he do over and over and over? He would say, Father, forgive me. You know, he would, he would write a song that said, I messed up, I'm laying on the ground, but I thank you that you don't cast me aside. Psalm 51, right after his son died out of an adulterous affair, is this little boy and his son dies seven days old, and he's like, you know what? Um, yeah, I messed up, but I know that you know my heart, and you won't push me aside. And we repent, and we trust God. I think the most powerful thing a man can do is repent, ask for forgiveness, and then forgive others. Forgive yourself. Forgive your spouse. Forgive the coach who cut you when you were a sophomore. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan would have never gotten past that, right? <laughs> he got cut off of varsity. Here he ends up being one of the greatest players ever lived, but he got past it because he forgave the guy. He said, okay, well, let's get past this. You know, forgiveness releases our lives. When we forgive others, we forgive an ex-business partner. If you're running your business because you're still mad, out of rage with your old business partner, it's not going to end well because you're going to make decisions that are clouded. You're not going to have freedom. So, you know, when we talk about where should, what should a man do right now in his life, repent, forgive, the two most powerful things you can do in your life. Paul, amazing. Thank you. Thank you for this time, brother. I am uh, uh, inspired by you regularly, and I always walk away with uh, nuggets. I wish I had my notepad here. I've made some mental notes on many things. Yeah, well, um, you, you got it on uh, We got it on video, actually, on so video, I can rewatch yeah. this. So thank you again for coming out, taking time. I know you're busy, and uh, just grateful to have you, that brother. fantastic. And I look forward to... Uh, just continuing to expand the kingdom and making a difference. Yeah, I'm fired up, man. Fired up, Skylar, about what's happening with Rise Up Kings. And, and uh, we're all in for your success because we believe your success is our success because it's all about the kingdom. We're all in it together. Yeah, hey, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in for more episodes which come out every other week. Click the subscribe button to become a part of the Rise Up Kings tribe and check out the three-day experience at riseupkings.com.